Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, we welcome Oscar-nominated and Emmy-winning production designer Bob Shaw to chat about The Gilded Age. Bob Shaw is an Oscar nominee for The Irishman, a two-time Emmy winner for Boardwalk Empire and Mad Men, a one-time BAFTA nominee, and a three-time ADG nominee. During our discussion, we chatted about designing for old money versus new money, living up to the show's predecessor, Downton Abbey, the VFX use, and much more. I mean, how were you initially approached for the project? Um, I just got, it's funny, I, I had gotten a call from somebody uh, that I work with, an art department coordinator on a, on a project that I wasn't on. And she said, uh, oh, I hear that they're um, uh, interviewing for this new Julian Fellows project. And then within 15 minutes, I actually got a call from my uh, agent asking if I could go meet on it. So um, I did. And, um, you know, I was interested because I knew it was sort of a big, interesting kind of period project. And, um, you know, they called me pretty soon. <laughs> I mean, actually, I was driving home and they called and said, you know, did I want to do it? So um, I must have said the right things. Mm-hmm. I kind of knew the territory. I'm kind of a bit of a New York history buff. Mm-hmm. And, um, I asked them certain questions about where they're going to cover the X, Y, and Z. And um, it sort of assured them that I knew, I knew some of the history already, so. Yeah. Um, and so what did that research project or the research process look like for you at the beginning? Um, well, fortunately we were on the, the, the side of technology where there were photographs. So that was, um, that was good because the, the challenge to me is this is the first show that I've done uh, in a pre-electric period. So, um, you know, in dealing with locations and just dealing in general, um, that everything was gaslit or, or even lit by candles. Um, so uh, there were a couple, you know, learning some of the history. Uh, the, the Russell family in the story is basically the Vanderbilt family. Mm-hmm. And so I read a bunch of books about the Vanderbilts and looked up, started, you know, just pulling reference. It's, um, it's so much easier than it used to be in the olden days when you, I mean, you had to go to the library, you had to go to the bookstore and there were times when you would debate you were whether you were going to buy like a $50 book because it had two pictures in it that you liked. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now there's just so much available. Mm-hmm. There's so many um, uh, chat groups and of, of history buffs and, you know, you know, even within other platforms, like, you know, Facebook there, you know, vintage New York history, you know, page and really, really old pictures of New York is what one of them's called. And, um, you know, it's just a lot out there and there are a lot of enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. But I also read a lot of the books that sort of profile the people. Um, one particular book about the Vanderbilts, you know, called, uh, I think it's Fortune's Children, was, um, you know, g- gave a great overview of the time period. Mm-hmm. And I mean, was there anything like really in particular that you were able to glean from that Vanderbilt book for the for the series? Well, sure. I mean, it was um, it it definitely helped delineate the difference between the old money and the new money, and mm-hmm. why people felt that they were um, under assault the old money because um, I think they knew that they had. Um, a new and powerful force and that it was just a matter of time before they 
were sort of relegated to the background. And I think that they were trying to stave that off as much as they could. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, so, and, and the idea that after, after the Civil War, there were people who literally were making more money than they knew what to do with. Yeah. And so, well, we have a house in New York City, but let's build one in Newport. Well, let's build one in the Adirondacks. And, Let's let's um, go to Paris for the Paris season. Let's go to London for the London season. They they literally didn't know what to do with all the money. Mm -hmm. I mean, you yeah. really see that opulence in the. I mean, the first episode for sure. Mm -hmm. In terms of, I mean, just that completely lavish um, party um, that they throw, and it's just you can. I mean, that's something you would throw for a million dollar wedding, but it's just a casual Tuesday night. Well, uh, you read things like that. The, um, there was a famous um, uh, ball that was given by Alva Vanderbilt uh, in 1883. And I think it cost in um, contemporary terms, like it was over $500,000 to throw a party, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, it's just crazy, you know? Oh, insane. Um, so going to the two houses, I mean, obviously you're having to um, sort of make something a little bit more worn and, and lived in versus something that's just very fresh and very new. I mean, how did you approach those two? Um, that was, it was pretty clear. Um, the, the decorating style through the Victorian era was just like pattern on pattern and, and layers and layers and layers of things. So even, even an, an up-to-the-date Victorian house would be just full of things. I always say that we we actually pared back. Um, we have pictures hanging above pictures, and, and in some cases we'll have a third picture high, but they would hang pictures like four 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 levels high. And um, there's always a balance of trying to convey a sense of the period, but not have it, you know, be something that gives a contemporary person looking at it a headache from 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 it just being. There's, there's a lot of visual noise. Um, there'll be one pattern on the carpet, another pattern on the wallpaper, another pattern uh, on the piano shawl, another, you know, just detail on top of detail on top of detail. Mm -hmm. So if, any, if anything, there was how to convey that and still have it like fit a contemporary person's idea of attractive. Mm -hmm. Because if you did it full, full on, it would be, what is all this junk? <laughs> Love that. Um, and so what were some of the challenges that you faced in this project? Um, well, first of all, we, we got unbelievable support from HBO um, and they really let us do it. But even finding a place to put the backlot was difficult. And um, it, it's almost disheartening the amount of money that's in the ground you know, because the buildings are a certain size and a certain weight and you have to support them. And there's, there's a whole steel superstructure behind everything um, mm. that you don't see to keep things from surviving multiple years, hopefully outside. And then, um, you know, the town had all sorts of requirements on drainage and all this engineering. And so there, there's a fortune just in, the, in of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that was, that was a bit of a, the challenge. Um, Again, it's easier because you know we have people in the art department who who work in three D, so we can you know construct the buildings. We you know I kind of pick buildings I wanted to replicate, and 
sort of here you, you work on this building, you work on that building and um, put them all together. But then you can literally put the camera inside um, the, the parlor of the, of the Brook House, the, the Brownstone and, mm -hmm. and show the director what the relationship is. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was the first thing we did was just to sort of establish the orientation of one house, you know, compared to the other, and then started to flesh out the rest of the street. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you learn a lot of things. I mean, you can't do anything this size without having a list of things you would do differently, you know. And uh, what would you have done differently if given the well, chance? Well, something I learned from a visual effects point of view is that um, be much, much better off I'm going around and photographing existing buildings that were of the period or close enough to the period so that if they have to do a set extension, better to pick a building and have us duplicate the, the bottom or even have to duplicate the bottom. But if they're gonna, if they're gonna do a back lot, it's much easier for them to, to photograph or LIDAR scan buildings and use real things rather than having to um, uh, create things from scratch and model, model them and then try and age them and then try and put more texture on them. It's, you know, so we, we, and we didn't do it that way. We did it the harder way. So I would never do that. I just never would do that again, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, is there any pressure sort of living up to the previous series? Not, I mean, Downton Abbey that you were concerned about or made you any worries? Like I, I wasn't concerned about it. Um, didn't even really occur to me. I think that we're, um, there are some very fundamental differences. Uh, they were almost housebound sometimes. They were in Downton Abbey, you know, whether upstairs or downstairs or in someone's room. Most of the time they were at Downton Abbey and they, they you know, would go to Lady Grantham's parlor occasionally, but they weren't in the world as much as we are. You know, mm. we're, we're in the thick of New York and we have to give some sense that, um, that there's a big world out there. There, there. It's not a country estate, you know, on a lot of property. Mm -hmm. Had to kind of integrate it into the world. So, I mean, they didn't have to worry about anything like uh, building a back lot. They, you know, filmed the outside of the house that, they, uh, you know, uh, the, the estate that they used. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to make it, you know. And can you talk about some of the CGI that was used? Um, because I find that fascinating. Well, that's, for example, what I, what I was saying is that um, I think it's always more surefire to be compositing uh, existing buildings or existing elements than mm -hmm. it is to be rendering, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, the original opening was written a little differently and it was a big overview of New York and seeing everything. And someone said, um, we can do that and it puts you right into the story. And I said, the problem is that those things can also take you right out of the story because they can look so artificial. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, but it's easier, back when I did Boardwalk Empire, when we were talking about the set extensions for the Boardwalk set, um, the art department was nowhere near as uh, advanced technologically as they are now. And we gave them pencil drawings of this is what the rest of it looks like. And then they had to sort of integrate it all. And now it's like, here's the 3D model of the building, you know, put it in there. Um, so it's changed in the last 12 years that I feel the art department's getting control, some control back that we'd, that we'd lost in some of the earlier days of VFX. Yeah. You know, so, and that's a good thing.
And, um, you know, you want to uh, involve, you know, there's always a thing when you're on a film of, of who they start and when they start them. You know, you can be chomping at the bit to want to have a conversation with the VFX um, department and, and someone will look at their calendar and say, they start in six weeks, <laughs> you know? So um, I like to have them brought in at the ground floor and, and help devise the plot you know of how the, the plan of how we're going to approach something you know mm -hmm. and i mean to sort of tease out the rest of the season does it get bigger and more um extravagant um well i mean of the things we've built i mean you you, pr you see them pretty early on but then we we did a lot of filming in newport and um uh you know the 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 Gilded Age mansions in Newport and the things there can put our stuff to shame in terms of the materials and the opulence and the level of detail. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was, that's the thing that always strikes me is that there were so many artisans at this time period and people who did unbelievable wood carving and, and, uh, and, and stone carving and, and uh, you know, stenciling and, and just so much skill that, that and I say that the, the equivalent person is probably working in a fulfillment center now. <laughs> well, I mean, when you look at the, you know, you go to, a, we were in Troy, New York, and every, every house seemed to, you know, have one more beautiful fireplace mantle after the other. Mm -hmm. And then most of them were all done by local craftsmen. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that there was so much skill and so many people uh, were, were our artisans and, you know, it'd be hard to find the people now, mm -hmm. but we have to find them within, within our crew. <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess final question, I mean, what's your biggest takeaway from this project? Um, that, uh, I mean, it's almost like Hillary Clinton, it takes a village or something. Um, you, you really, you're, you're only as good as the team you're able to assemble, mm -hmm. you know? And we fortunately had like a really top drawer team, you know, from props to, you know, our scenic artists to the carpenters and everybody was very invested in it. I mean, I think people were more invested in what they were making than they often do. Like if they were working on a crime procedural or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, it's not terrible, but it's not, and people were very dedicated devoted to it. I mean, um, we had a scenic artist actually go to France before we started filming and she took a six week course on, on faux finishing. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Just in anticipation of working on the show. Ah, that's crazy. And I always say that, you know, if, if there were a marbling Olympics, I think our team would have won the gold. Yeah. <laughs> they wow. just did miles and miles of marble, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the Emmys could be coming your way very soon. You know, um, those are things that I think are best not to think about <laughs> because it's not why you, you know, why you do it, yeah. not why you do it. And it's, um, you know, you're, you're also, you have to see how the show's received too. You know? mm. Well, I think it's going over very well so far. Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah. You know, again, I don't like to read too much stuff because, you know, if you, if you're going to read, the, if you're going to believe the good stuff, then you have to believe some of the bad stuff too. So, um, and if, if, if you're happy with the work, which just doesn't happen all that often, um, 
you know it and you know somebody complimenting something that you think is not top drawer or that you didn't get right is is not is not very it's not rewarding if i mean i think you you keep your own compass mm-hmm. in terms of where you think you you got it right and where you think you got it wrong what you try to make sure not to do is to tell people who are interviewing you what you got wrong <laughs> <laughs> well what did you get right then um um i think i think we got the, the contrast right i think we got the contrast between the between the um, the old money people and the new money people, I think um, when when the facade of the Russell House was starting to emerge and the, f- the facade of the um, Brook Brownstone had been already built pretty much on the back lot, going in there and standing in the window uh, because we had places on the on the back lot that duplicated what was on the stage set, um, like the vestibules. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of like almost like an airlock between between the onset world and the um, and the back lot. But the first time I stood and in, uh, in the window and looked out the window of the brownstone and and uh, thought, well, I can see why they were upset <laughs> because this giant thing is looming out the window, and in their very uh, uh, limited world, and you know everybody had a brownstone. And there was a famous quote. I mean, the writer. Um, Edith Wharton, who wrote so much about this period, said it was like the entire city was dipped in chocolate during the period when everything was brownstone. Mm-hmm. And um, it was safe, it was, it was reliable, it was what everyone had, and you know, it was brownstone. And then these people build this giant marble thing out the window. So I, I thought that we actually got the contrast right. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, yeah been a very fun chat and uh, <laughs> I absolutely love the show um I just I love that you guys have been able to bring so many I mean theater actors into this and it's just it's it's wonderful and lovely and just a, a nice way to balm some of the other shows that are out there right now well I started in theater in in the uh, uh in the 80s before I realized I wasn't making any money and changed the film in the 90s. Um, so there are a couple people in the cast that I've known from, um, uh, I've known the, Donna Murphy who plays Mrs. Astor, I've known um, since we did a show together in 1984. <laughs> and, um, and same thing, I don't, I don't know her as well, um, but uh, Christine Nielsen who plays Mrs. Bauer, I did Shakespeare in the Park with her in 1984. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy people that you, you've worked with going on 40 years yeah yeah a nice reunion to have though for sure yeah well okay um well thank you again this is such a blast and i can't wait to see um what's next with the show and then i mean hopefully a second season that would be absolutely lovely well i hope people enjoy it that's that's the important thing so thank you all for listening this episode was edited and produced by me jackson vickery Graphics were done by Dylan Michael, and the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.